I can't, seems I can't have a week go by, nor do I want to, when someone doesn't give a testimony of something that God is doing in their heart. It's unfortunate that only the pastors get these number of testimonies, and, and the average person who's a member who's not in some kind of a leadership position misses out on those testimonies. We're going to correct that starting September 9th and have a storyteller's event on our Wednesday night um, series for eight weeks starting this September. But God's kingdom is breaking in, and it is such a powerful thing, but it is a subtle thing. And this morning, my goal is to get a 30,000-foot view of what's happening here. So, you know, this tropical storm Erica came rolling in, and if you're like me, you zoomed in on your weather app to see how big it was, right? That's healthy to do, to back up sometimes and to say, okay, I'm surveying the whole thing, and now that I've got that, I can zoom back down into my area and see what's happening right here. I want to do that this morning briefly for you so that you can catch the bigger vision of what is going on at Grace Anglican Church, and then you can find your place of connection in your ministry within that. I picked the gospel passage for this morning from Matthew 13, which is a section on the kingdom parables. And Jesus gives a number of parables to explain how his kingdom works. And I particularly like the one about the leaven. I like it because it rhymes, actually. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid or mixed in five or in three measures of flour. The point here is that God's kingdom starts out small, and it starts out on the inside and it starts to work its way all the way out to the very fringes. Now, we don't bake bread, most of us, daily in our homes. We buy it from the grocery store. But I think most of us understand how yeast works, or leaven, which is what yeast is. You put it in there, and it starts to eat the sugar that is in the flour, and it multiplies very rapidly and starts to grow. And a byproduct of that is carbon dioxide, so you get bubbles. So the, the, the dough starts to rise, And it keeps eating the sugar and multiplying until it makes it all the way to the very fringes. Now, that is how the kingdom of heaven works. It starts small on the inside, seemingly insignificant, and then it keeps working its way. It keeps working its way. And in this room are stories of how the kingdom of God has been doing that. God's kingdom has been advancing. It's been breaking into our midst here in this church and in other places. This morning, I want to do four things for you. I want actually to elicit from you four feelings or four responses. I want to see that we feel something. I want to see that we know something. I want to see us connect, and I want to see us dream. Those are the four things I'm aiming for, that we would feel, that we would know, that we would connect, and that we would dream. Now, let me start with the first one. I hope that you feel the strength of faith in this room. By pulling the whole parish together for these Vision Sundays twice a year, we start to feel our own faith lifted. We are not all alone out there in a big dark world. We have strength in the people of God. So we come together and we sing as one voice. I hope you are singing out loud and saying the prayers out loud because what it does is it inspires those who are right next to you. It is a powerful thing. Every single person in this room is here this morning because God is moving in your life. Some because for many years you've been a faithful worshiper of God and you wouldn't miss a Lord's day in his house. Others, you're not even sure why you're here, but let me tell you why you're here. You're here because God is moving. He has worked in the circumstances of your life to get you to this moment. God's kingdom, just like that 
that illustration of the yeast is working its way from the inside out, and it's come around you now. Psalm 22.3 says this. It says that the Lord is holy, and he sits enthroned on the praises of his people. And Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in their midst. And there's something very mysterious about that and very powerful. When we gather here and are praising God, he delights to dwell within those praises. He makes this his throne and his spirit is here with us. My prayer going into this week was that you would feel that, that you would feel his presence. Not just the electric feel of having a room full of people and you're packed in, but that you would feel God's presence in this place, which is a common testimony I hear about worship at Grace Anglican Church. We are one body in Christ, and I want you to hear this this morning. You do not have to stand alone. You stand with your church united. So I want you to feel that this morning. Second, I want you to know what it is that unites us. I want you to know a little bit about the vision. I'm hoping that this starts to sound familiar because one of my mentors said, if you feel like you're going to throw up if you say the vision one more time, the people are almost getting it. So this morning, I I hope some of this is familiar. There is an insert in the bulletin that's a little card. And this is supposed to represent a sandbox, the little square. I've taken this idea from a book on leadership called Leading from the Sandbox. And if you think about being a kid, when you were a young kid playing in the sandbox, the sides of the sandbox defined the area of play. It's where the sand was, it's where you built, you keep the toys in the sand in that area, and it helps having a common playground, a common sandbox. These four sides are defining for us as a church what we are about and helping us get unified around this. Now, my personal opinion, and I could make a strong biblical argument for this, is that every church has the same mission statement. And that mission statement is the Great Commission. In the end of all four of the Gospels, Jesus commissions his people to go out and do kingdom work. And so in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. That's the charge that he's given us, to make disciples and teach them to obey or observe all that he has taught. That's what we're about. We're about becoming, of course, first disciples or students of Jesus, and then helping other people to do so as well. So we take very seriously this great commission to obey Jesus's commandments, In this church, I hope you will sometimes feel a little bit of a push, a little bit of discomfort, some pressure even, if you're thinking you can be a Christian and not obey what Jesus taught. We're taking his word seriously, and we're pressing on to maturity. Now, I can't go through every point on this card in this brief little 18 minutes I have here. However, I want to point a couple of things out, and we're going to keep coming back to this stuff. From the Great Commission, over on the right side are some core principles of how we go about the Great Commission. And I want to talk about the maturity one, that nobody in this room has arrived yet. There is no one in here who has perfected their faith. And the Apostle Paul said it this way, speaking of a church he was pastoring, he said that he longs to see Christ formed in them, fully formed in them. And so we in this church are about growth into Christ-likeness. We want to become just like Jesus. 
That is our goal. That is the, God's goal for us. And that's about being disciples who then are able to replicate Christ in the world. Now, over on the left-hand side of the box is our preferred culture. Now, this is something that maybe you haven't seen so much, but I, again, I hope you've picked up on this. A very high priority in this church is having a personal walk with the living God. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've heard me say, we don't teach a religion, we teach a relationship. Of course, Christianity is a religion, but it's a religion that's about a relationship with the living God. He is not in the tomb. He is alive, and his spirit is here, and he invites people into a real relationship with him. The temptation in a religion is to put on the externals and to look a certain way without the internal work happening. Remember the image of the yeast within the dough? It starts on the inside small, and it begins to grow and work its way out. So a personal walk with Jesus is what we emphasize. Learning to relate to God, something that will go on for eternity, is what this church is about. Learning to know him, to talk to him, and also hear from him, to follow his lead, and to, with his spirit and in his strength, obey his commandments. It's about knowing him. I want you to know that I personally, as your pastor, prioritize my own spiritual life above almost anything else that I do, because I recognize that I cannot give you what I do not have, nor can you give what you don't have. And so the real, I mean, I put myself out here and say, for my own sanctification, talk to the staff, talk to leaders in the church, talk to my own family, ask them about my faith. I hope you will consider my example and follow it that I am pursuing Christ and I want more of him in my life. I want that for our church as well. So we value a personal walk. And then the second thing on there is emotional health. One of the things about walking with Jesus is he starts to show you things about yourself. It's a scary thing to think about emotional health and what that means. It starts with accepting yourself as God made you and learning to love yourself as God made you. And you see, when we understand that God loves us first, then we begin to accept ourselves. This is on the process of emotional health. It's so important to get to that place where we let God love us, and then we start to love ourselves. Before we would even try to go and make disciples or do mission work or ministry. Because again, you can't give what you don't have. And this means bringing your desires before God. The good ones as well as the bad ones. And saying, transform me, God and beginning to live in that place of knowing who you are, how God has made you to be, and what he is making you into. We value that. But see, now flip over to the other side of the sandbox, and we can't do that unless this is a place that is is filled with grace. Because the minute that some of that, that work that has to be done comes out, if it's judged, and there's a judgmental spirit, it can't, the work can't get done. And so we really value grace. We want to understand what grace is. We want to personally live in it. And then we want to extend it to other people. And here is simply what grace is. Not one of us is worthy of the kingdom. And yet, out of love for us, God does a work to make us worthy. Now, if I really believe that, then when someone comes and says, I've just been fired from my job because I got caught stealing, the last thing I'm going to do is shame that person I'm going to understand because I'm in touch with the darkness in my own heart and realize that only by God's grace I haven't tripped on that particular stumbling block, but I could see how it could happen. And when I live like that with integrity, I can say, hey, come on, let's, let's figure out how to 
get your life back in order. Let's together walk in this. That kind of grace is so powerful. It tears down the, the, the bad strongholds and it builds up God's kingdom. And that yeast starts working its way through the whole dough. This is a place, not just named grace, but a place where we live in it and extend it so that these other things can happen. Now, that's just some of what's going on. Um, I, I want to say, feel the power of God's people and the strength of the people of faith. Know that that's what we're about as a church. And then I want you to connect. Now, on the bottom of that diagram are central ministries. I've got worship God, Christian community, and reach out. We are a church that's about passionately worshiping our God, about building Christian community, a a community of people centered around Christ, and about reaching out to a hurting and broken world. And the way we reach out is through mercy and mission. So sometimes we call it the four focus areas. In fact, if you look at the front of the bulletin, I asked our communications team to take these little icons off of our website and to stick them around our cross because the cross makes nicely four quadrants. And so these little icons help us remember what are our central ministries. We are about worship, passionately following God. We are about building Christian community, about belonging. That means knowing and loving one another. We are about mercy, which is serving those in need. And we are about mission, which is telling God's story, both locally and globally, so that others can receive what we've received. These are the four ministry areas that we have going on, the four focus groups. Today, on your way out of church, you're going to receive a connection guide. Our team has put together a a very difficult process over the summer, everything that we know of where you can get plugged into one of those four areas this coming fall. So the Connection Guide has up-to-date information, has opportunities. I want today for you to see the whole thing so that then you can figure out where you fit in that and you can know what your ministry is. I don't know if you were here in January, but on that Vision Sunday, one of the things I shared was my desire, because I think God gave it to me, to see every member in this church having a ministry and being able to identify what that ministry is. What is your ministry? It won't be the same as the person sitting next to you, most likely. There are a number of different ministries, and this is the big picture of where they fit. If you're over here working in mercy, serving the needs of the poor in Clay County or Jacksonville or wherever, I want you to understand that there are also people working to help build up the worship of God's people. And there are other people who are building a community that is Christ-centered. So they're leading small groups or Bible studies or missional communities or a number of other things. It's good to know that all these things are going on because no one person can do all of them. Again, that's the strength of the body of Christ that has many members, but it's one body. So I want you to get involved. I want you to get one of those connection guides, take one for each household, and look through it and see, where is God calling me to plug in to his kingdom here in our midst? So feel, know, connect, and now dream. Let's dream a little bit of a possible future. I'm asking God daily, what do you want for this place? I'm asking him, why did you put us on this spot, on these 19 acres in Fleming Island, in this key spot, I would say? Why did you preserve us through so many difficulties to get to this moment? You know, as a church, we'll be 10 years old in January. For 10 years, God has been strengthening and building and healing us as a people and adding to our numbers. I asked God, okay, I can see the end of this mortgage. What would you have us do if we were able to have the $450,000 a year we use on our campus and paying down our mortgage, 
What if that was released for ministry? What could we do for the kingdom of God? Within 15 years, that's going to be gone, and I hope a whole lot sooner than that. Let me tell you a story about how the church, the global church, is encouraging us to get rid of that debt as well. One of our vestry members, Eric Crawford, who's an officer on the vestry, was traveling for business and was in Asia. He went to an Anglican church in Singapore where they used the 1928 prayer book and then they prayed in tongues and they laid hands on him. And one of his prayer requests was related to the mortgage. And you know what they did? They laid hands on him. They prayed for God's favor and blessing. And then they gave him money. They gave him the equivalent of 150 American dollars to take home to our church to put to the mortgage principal as I see it as seed, seed money, trusting that just like the yeast will grow, God will multiply that gift and the day will come sooner than 15 years when that mortgage is gone. Now, what would we do with $450,000 a year for God's kingdom? Think about what we could do. One of the best ways to get a picture for the future is to look behind you and see where God has already brought you. Something that this church has done and has done well is be an equipping and sending place. A lot of people have come here and learned how to use their gifts to serve, both leaders and lay members, both ordained, unordained, or not ordained. In a number of different ways, we've seen this happen. In January, I gave you a laundry list of all the people who are now vocationally leading in ordained ministries. I can't even count the number of people who are serving within those ministries. The kingdom of God is expanding exponentially. That, that exponential growth is such a powerful thing. Part of when I look to the future, what I want to see is I want to see our church become a global church that's healthy and strong locally, but has a global vision, that we are raising up global Christians, people who recognize that this church can influence beyond our county, our city, certainly these walls, that we can remain outward focused even as we grow strong on an inward um, growth as well. I think about our reputation. You know, I've talked to two people in the last month who know somebody who does not go to this church and is very active in their own church, but they often tell people about our church. Think about that. The reputation of what our church is about is so strong that people in other churches sometimes send people to this one instead of their own. Now, I'm not trying to, I don't want to see any church go down. I want to see all of them strive to to improve. I pray for all the churches. But our reputation is known in the community, and increasingly so, as a place where people meet with God. And it's such a powerful thing. I think about other churches that have a reputation of strong ministry and raising up leaders and sending and, and, and empowering leadership within the pews. I, I have a friend who um, works with a leadership development group, and he made this observation about a certain ministry in, in Colorado. He said, I'm talking to all these young Christian leaders that want to start churches or, um, or be ordained or whatever, and I started to recognize many of them trace their spiritual lineage back to a thing called Noah's Ark in Buena Vista, Colorado. And I know that ministry now. I've been out there a number of times. And it's a place that has begun to extend its reach beyond its, the people that are there. So many people have gone through there and have learned their gifts and their strengths and what the gospel is that it's now starting to influence beyond its own ministry. There are two Anglican churches that are like that that I know of. One is St. Stephen's Church in Swickley. Another one is the Falls Church up in Virginia. These are churches that have fellows programs, that they have intern programs, that they are doing ministry now that is, is beginning to bless the broader church. I think that's an amazing vision to think beyond our walls, to think globally. 
And I'll think back to my own church that I went to as a high school kid where I became a Christian, Hebron Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. My youth, my youth pastor used to say this, and I love it. He says, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a seed. And that church has been faithfully planting seeds and planting seeds and planting seeds. On Facebook last week, I, I posted on the youth pastor's website, I said, Jerry, how many of your stu- former students are now in full-time vocational ministry? I said, seriously, I'm trying to count the number of apples. And, and several people from that youth group started to respond. And I started to count. I counted eight different people who have come through that and are doing full-time vocational ministry. I can't even possibly count the number of people who've come through that ministry and are not vocationally um, serving. They're not ordained, but they are faithfully changing their workplace, their family, the community. These are Christians who are out there doing amazing things. So I, just very pragmatically, I know that good leadership needs an incubator. Just like it takes a village to raise up a child, it takes a healthy church to empower and raise up global leaders. This is becoming a healthier and healthier church. I would say it already is very healthy. It's become an incubator for godly leaders. I would like to invest in that more. I can see a day when the Institute for Worship Studies could be on this campus. I've been talking with Jim and others about it. Right now, the ministry is hindered. Thank you. The ministry is hindered because of our mortgage. We can't figure out how to make that happen. That could go away very soon. I hope to see that happen. Another thing is we've had interns every summer in the youth program. I would like to see more of those and intentionally partner with Gordon Conwell and other seminaries to bring interns here who can really be served by us. Not so we can get ministry out of them, but so they can come and see what a healthy church looks like. And so all these different ministries you're connected into would be a place for them to learn, cut their teeth, and then be sent out. You don't just, you know, getting a a new children's minister or a new worship leader or a youth pastor or whatever, you have only two ways to do it. You either steal one from another church or you create one. (laughs) I would like to be the church that creates them and sends them, lots of them out. What if we become that kind of a, a church with a legacy for that, equipping and sending? I talked with Brent McHugh about what would it take to be one of the mobilization centers for Chris Starr. He said, pretty much a willing leadership team. I said, all right, when you get back from your month-long trip to the Philippines, let's talk about that. What if we had that on our campus where this was a place that reached out and reached the globe? You know, IWS is about the renewal of worship around the world in God's church. Seminaries are sending people out. A healthy church can be a place for interns and a place for people to learn how to use their gifts in ministry. These are some of the things that we could do, and I think it's exciting. I want you to pray with me about that because it it is within our reach for sure. I want to see a strong local church that has a global reach. That's part of the vision that I think God has for us. And I want to pray for that now, and I want to invite you to join me in praying for it. Father, I thank you for... Grace Anglican Church, and I thank you for the way that it has served me personally, that it has served so many others. I thank you for those who are in here and are learning about their ministry. Lord God, let your kingdom come and your will be done. We pray for you to speak your vision to us. I lift up the vestry and all the leaders in this church, and I ask that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying. Lord, we want to please you, and we want to obey you. And we pray that your kingdom would come. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.